Hello and welcome to the Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Gordon Smith, and this week I'm joined by co-host Jay Shabbat to discuss the state of play at Thai Airways, as well as the latest developments in the Middle East low-cost scene. Hi, Jay. How's it going? Well, I'm good, Gordon. How's the uh, weather out by you? Is it as cold uh, there as it is uh, on this side of the Atlantic? I could tell you, but I would probably have you <laughs> wreathing with jealousy. Uh, you've got snow again, haven't you? Yeah, we got snow. We had a couple inches, and uh, it's it's all cleared up now. But uh, we did have, yeah, all the everybody off from school and work yesterday, so all the offices around here closed. Well, no rest for us on the Airline Weekly Launch podcast. Come snow or sunshine, we are here to bring you the latest developments. And this week we're discussing Thai Airways. We'll get onto that straight away. And then in part two, we're going to be looking at uh, Jazeera Airways, Air Arabia, uh, some interesting numbers out of there. But yeah, let's kick off with, with, with Thai Airways, Jay. And as we're recording here on Wednesday afternoon, there are industry reports of a, of a major new order for some wide bodies. Tell us more. Right. So it um, looks like the Thai Airways is uh, on the verge of ordering some 787s here. And they had uh, not too long ago ordered some A350s as well. And they are trying to rebuild their fleet. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. I just wanted to start off by uh, giving giving everyone here a very interesting piece of information. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> it's probably going to surprise everyone listening, uh, unless uh, unless you, you may have seen it in Airline Weekly. But we uh, we calculate uh, and rank uh, all the publicly traded airlines around the world and look at their operating margins. And if you look for the twelve months that ended in Q three, so nothing. Uh, we don't have information on Thai Airways for Q four yet. Uh, in fact, we don't have. We we only have a handful of airlines, mostly mostly the U.S. guys, a few others for Q4. But if you go 12 months uh, through September, so that's Q3, the most profitable airline in the world was Thai Airways with a 24.3 percent operating margin. Kind of wow. crazy. Yeah, kind of kind of. Uh, it would throw you for a loop there. It's a good if you're ever at an airline conference cocktail party or something. It's a good good piece of information. You can uh, you can dazzle your uh, your fellow con- attendees there. But uh, <laughs> I'll talk a little bit about how we got here um, because it's a, a big up and down story for them. So very very brief history lesson here. So Thai Airways, um, you know, rather old airline, that's several decades old. They they actually had. Uh, a profit streak of about 40 straight years. They were they were perennially not the most profitable airline in the world by any means, uh, but through really 70s, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, they consistently made money. Uh, very early on, they were actually owned by, uh, partially anyway, by SAS Scandinavia, which is another fun fact for you uh, when you attend your, all of you attend your, your conferences. Well, I need to I need to be invited to some cocktail parties now. I've got all these new facts to share. There you go. Yeah, you're going to be the hit of the party, Gordon. Well, uh, yeah, we, we, we've got a fair few listeners on this podcast. I dare say you've let the secret out. In future, you can uh, deliver these to me in secret, and then I can uh, dispense them at parties, and then they can go on the podcast. Yeah, that. correct. Right, and just make sure it's an airline conference, an airline party, not a. Quite so. SAS and Thai, a little bit of back history there, and uh, a streak of steady eddy profitability. Steady eddy profitability, and most of that was just because uh, the demand was always there. I mean, Thailand was always a very, very 
large tourist market. And so, uh, you know, it wasn't high yield demand. It wasn't business demand, but, uh, but good enough, especially considering that competition was for a long time pretty limited. And also the fact that uh, labor costs are pretty low and other input costs, airports, and, you know, uh, most of the non-fuel cost base uh, operating in a region like Southeast Asia is pretty, or the ASEAN region, if you want to call it that, pretty low. So, you know, everything uh, nice and happy uh, until the 2010s. And then things start really going off the rails. Mm. And that had a lot to do with just extraordinarily amounts of new competition from a lot of low cost carriers. Thailand itself, even domestically, is now just uh, just replete with LCCs. I mean, you've got uh, Lion Air from Indonesia set up a joint venture in Thailand and AirAsia has one and Vietjet from Vietnam has one and there's Bangkok Airways competes in, in the market and Thai Airways started its own LCC called Nogair and they wound up kind of going independent more or less. So extremely competitive. And then anything long haul, you know, you're competing with Singapore Airlines and they started Scoot and, uh, you know, you can just go on and on. Uh, it's just a lot, a lot of competition. So really, really difficult uh, decade uh, for them during the 2010s. At the same time, you had some other things going on. A lot of uh, market uh, shocks. You had uh, various, um, you know, civil unrest uh, within within Thailand. You had um, several natural disasters. So a uh, whole, whole sort of reasons why Thai is really, really messy airline. I would be sort of remiss to also mention that if I may say so, was a Thai Airways was a rather mismanaged airline, and a lot of that was you know heavy political interference, a lot of overstaffing, um, very poor aircraft selection. They had whole sorts of I mean they really ordered all the wrong aircraft and just just way too many fleet types, way way too much complexity for an airline of their size. Uh, you know, at one time they were flying, you know, A340 500s nonstop from Bangkok to New York and just lost a ton of money on that. And they had 747s and they had this and they had that. So by the time that COVID came, they were already a mess. And COVID just basically put them out of business, if not for, would have put them out of business, if not for a government rescue and a sort of government say assisted bankruptcy process, which they which they went through, which actually still they haven't come out of that process yet, but they have uh, very forcefully cut their costs, reduced their fleet pretty dramatically. They're a much smaller airline now. And lo and behold, we had this big, you know, demand bounce back last year, which all the East Asian carriers started seeing in late 2022, early 23. And Voila, we have uh, Thai Airways, the most profitable airline in the world. <laughs> nice, uh, interesting story, no? Does all that profit go into paying legacy debt or is every new quarter almost treated like a, like a clean sheet? There must be some residual loans to pay and things. So it's not quite money straight in the bank. That's true. There is some money to pay. But remember, one of the benefits of bankruptcy, perhaps the biggest benefit of ban- bankruptcy, is that all those people that you owe money to, you can tear up the contracts and say, sorry. <laughs> and uh, that's the same thing with the aircraft lessors as well. So a lot of that get debt was extinguished during the bankruptcy process. Um, now, of course, 
if you're going to buy new planes, you know, A350s from Airbus, and you're going to buy, as we mentioned, new 787s from Boeing, um, you're not going to get those for free. So <laughs> they're going to take on some new debt. And um, they just, you know, having got, ha having just brought their cost structure down so much, they hope that they, uh, they're kind of on the right footing now. Their fleet is much more, much simpler now as well. Um, 787s, 8350s, those are the perfect planes for Thai Airways. So they're kind of on the right track now. And, uh, you know, I, if, if you ask me, are they going to be the most profitable airline in the world going forward? I, you know, that may be a stretch, but, uh, but they seem to be in a position where they can earn healthy returns again. And to answer your question directly, adequately service their debts. So I, I think it's, I think it's a overall a, a happy story. Um, and it is, uh, I should add that um, several airlines, it's not just them in, in their region, um, in that ASEAN region, which is, you know, Singapore and Malaysia and Thailand and Philippines. A lot of the airlines in that region are doing very well. Their Singapore Airlines is also doing fantastically well again. Um, but that probably shouldn't surprise anybody. They, they have a you know, history of being very profitable. But even Philipp Philippine Airlines, which for many yep. years was a basket case airline, doing very well now. Uh, Malaysia Airlines, they are not, um, they do not release their results anymore. But I have read in local Malaysian newspapers recently that they made a nice profit um, in their most recent year. So it's a, it's partially a regional story as well. But well, uh, yeah, I'm afraid my, my, subs my, my subscription to the Kuala Lumpur Gazette has, uh, has lapsed, I'm afraid. So I'll be relying on you to keep me abreast of all the, uh, the local Malaysian updates. That's the first thing I read every morning. Go to sort apart from airline <laughs> weekly, of course. Yeah, right. Well, yeah. So yeah, this is a an order just coming back to the Thai Airways deal, still to be formally announced. But uh, Reuters and some other uh, news agencies are reporting industry sources uh, saying a firm order for forty five Boeing seven eight seven jets with options potentially to boost the size of the deal to around eighty aircraft. The deal is expected to be formally unveiled later this month. Uh, and it's already reflected in Boeing's published order backlog as a contract for 45 planes with a as yet undisclosed customer. But uh, yes, after the news leaking out earlier this week, perhaps the, the worst secret in aviation. But Jay, just talk us through how you think the, the Middle Eastern carriers are responding to the, the rise in demand, both from Europe, but also from Australia to Europe and, and cross uh, the other way around to the Thai market. So you, you know, if, if I'm in London and I want to get to, to Phuket or Bangkok, I will fly through Dubai, I'll fly through Doha, I'll fly through Abu Dhabi, maybe even fly through Istanbul and some others. In the old days, it would have been arguably a direct flight with, uh, with, with Thai Airways as my preferred option now. Actually, the prospect of stretching my legs in Dubai for a couple of hours isn't maybe the worst thing in the world. No, exactly, and and I'm really glad you mentioned that because when I uh, when I made mention of all the new competition that Thai Airways faced during the 2010s, I uh, talked about some of the low cost carriers that went into Thailand directly, but but very much uh, one of one of the biggest threats are those Gulf carriers you refer to. If you look at an airline like Qatar Airways, um, and I bet you this is true for Emirates too, certainly Qatar. Uh, Bangkok is probably one of their five top five routes in terms of like the total number of seats they fly into that market. It's huge. I mean, they're taking, I mean, it's such a large leisure market. They're taking people from all around the world, uh, you know, through their, through their Gulf hubs into, into a market like Thailand. 
So it's it's very um, yeah very very astute of you to bring that up. Extremely important competitors for for Thai Airways, and that will continue to be the case. Now the one you know perhaps saving grace is that some of these Gulf carriers they're not growing like they once were. I mean if you look at a carrier like Etihad, you know ten years ago it was you know gangbusters, and uh, even Emirates has slowed down, Qatar Airways has slowed down, so. Uh, there's, I, I think it's just not saying the competition is easy by any means, but perhaps easier. I mean, it's, it's gotten a little bit tamer in terms of all the growth. Interesting. You, you, you mentioned Etihad there. I actually flew with Etihad Airways into Phuket last year, and that was Europe, Abu Dhabi to Phuket. And one of the reasons we selected that flight is because even if we took a direct service to Bangkok, we'd need to be connecting anyway down to, to Phuket. So if you're going to break up the journey somewhere, do I want to do 13 hours? and then a transfer in Bangkok and then down another hour? Or do I maybe want to do six and seven, seven and six? Um, it's it, it, it's an interesting one. And with the fares very, very competitive, uh, often through the, the Middle Eastern carriers, it, it does put pressure on some more direct routes. But looking at the the, the wider picture, Jay, you, you think Thai Airways has, has got its house in order? Yeah, well, I, I think they definitely, the, the restructuring that, that, they, that I referred to was so thorough. And we we see that, and I mean, just by, by by the fact that they're the most profitable airline in the world uh, now, kind of speaks to that, attests to that. So so clearly, there's they're in a in a good position to succeed. There's still some open questions. One is to what extent does the you know China tourism come back? China's actually uh, I'm looking at a presentation they they recently did, and China is their number two source of uh, currently their number two source of tourists. I think Malaysia, neighboring Malaysia, is number one. And China, I believe, before the pandemic, was was number one and much larger. So that um, there's still a question of you know does that come back in full? Does it you know is does that become a problem going forward? Uh, so there there there's. You know, I don't want to say the the path for Thai Airways is nice and wide open for them to, you know, be successful for their for for here on out. Um, but uh, but they're they're well positioned. I'll, I'll give you one interesting, one final interesting uh, little development that's happening in Thailand. So Russia has become the fifth biggest source of tourists, and that kind of makes sense. And we'll talk about the Russian market a little bit more when we talk about. Jazeera and Arabia, but uh, Russians who used to vacation in Europe, for example, take their holiday in, you know, let's say Lisbon uh, or Spain, or well, that is kind of that. Those markets are, are no longer open because of the the Ukraine conflict. So what we've seen is Russian tourists go to places like the Middle East and like Bangkok, Phuket, um, and the and you see that in the numbers. So Thai Airways is definitely benefiting from that a lot, quite a lot. Really, really interesting stuff. One very, very final Thai tip bit for you, Jay, because you've been so so generous with yours today. I was at Krabi Airport a few years ago, which is uh, on Thailand's southwest coast, uh, getting a little flight down to to Singapore. And on the departure screen, you know, you Bangkok, Chiang Mai, Kuala Lumpur, whatever. Uh, all the regional destinations that you might expect. And there was a Russian charter aircraft and on the departure board, it just said Russia. 
(laughs) 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 Anywhere from Vladivostok to to St. Petersburg, take your pick. Uh, It was uh, nice and and vague. Hopefully the pilots knew where they were going, even if the departure board didn't know exactly where in Russia that 777 was heading to. Uh, Fascinating stuff. We could discuss Tyerways and its various quirks across 30 minutes, I'm sure, but we need to be disciplined with the time. So we're going to go uh, have a very quick break. In part two, we will be discussing the fortunes of Jazeera Airways. Stay with us. Hello, welcome back to the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. I'm Gordon Smith, and this week I'm joined by co-host Jay Shabbat. How are you doing, Jay? I'm good. Ready to talk about the uh, the Gulf Middle East. Oh, yes. So, yes, we've had uh, some new numbers out this week from Jazeera and Air Arabia. Yeah, and there they're couldn't be any more different. So, so Jazeera is having all sorts of problems now. And let me just back up and say that uh, Jazeera is a small airline. I don't want to give any... Uh, you know, I don't want to suggest that they are, uh, you know, a bellwether for the region or that they're representative of anything. The, the real simple reason why Gordon and I decided to talk about them today, and I, I guess we should say this is Wednesday, uh, February 14th that we're, we're talking, uh, is simply because Jazeera is one of the most transparent, um, probably the most transparent uh, airlines in the region. And so they, they, for, they did hold a conference call for for starters uh, with with investors that you can listen to, um, and the CEO is uh, it's just a great call. It's one of my favorite calls to listen to actually. Um, the CEO Rohit Ramachandran is uh, yeah just very very clear, concise answers all the questions given to him. Very um, it's it's just it's a good a very informative call each quarter. So that's, that's refreshing. Yeah, it is refreshing because you don't, you know, for example, Emirates doesn't, they only report semi-annually. They don't do a call. Qatar raises, basically, you don't get too much out of them. And uh, Air Arabia, we do have their numbers, but we their quarterly numbers, which I'll give to you in a second. But um, no, as far as I know, they don't, they used to do a call. They don't do any more. At least it's not open to uh, the public so or the media. So um, Jazeera is uh, kind of a fountain of a rare fountain of information in that region, which which is refreshing, as he said. So, uh, but it was a bad quarter. Um, their fourth quarter result was negative sixteen percent on the operating margin side, um, whereas Air Arabia had a, a positive twelve percent. So, two very different airlines, even though they're in the same region uh, and have a similar low cost business model. Uh, I won't talk too much about Air Arabia just just for lack of time. You can. Certainly read all about that in, in the upcoming issue of Airline Weekly. But uh, Jazeera for a second, why are they losing money? And uh, just for the record, they did, um, they, you know, they have been a very profitable uh, airline in the past. So what's going on now? It's really, it's, it's not so much a demand issue. It's, it's really an overcapacity issue. And that's, uh, you know, they, they, they pretty much say that right up front, um, that there's all sorts of capacity that was kind of dumped into the Kuwaiti market. And it's a little bit unusual to talk about overcapacity these days because most aviation markets around the world, as some of you are probably aware, have the opposite problem. There's not enough capacity because we don't have, you know, Boeing's not producing enough planes and Airbus is not producing enough planes and the Pratt & Whitney engines are not working. And, and uh, I shouldn't say they're not working, but they, they need to go back for back to the hangars for work. And um, so there's most markets uh, have sort of an undersupply situation. We did talk last week about Frontier 
and it's over capacity in Orlando and Las Vegas. So, you know, Kuwait is not the only exception, but it is an exception. And that's why Jazeera is really struggling. Now, they did say in their call, their very informative call as usual, that um, things are getting better in the first quarter. Some of the capacity has come out. They say demand has picked up. But they really, yeah, it's interesting. They really uh, didn't talk too much on the demand side. They do not fly to Israel so that um, the developments there hasn't affected them. Um, Egypt is a very big market, but they didn't even mention that. I think that's held up pretty well. I think we've heard from EasyJet and a few other airlines that Egypt kind of initially, when some of the unrest started uh, in that region, Egypt initially was affected, but it's kind of stabilized. So I think demand is, if anything, you know, pretty stable. Um, there is one market that they did mention where demand is very, very good, and it's a it's a market we just talked about. Uh, <laughs> we just talked about with Thai Airways, uh, Russia. So Moscow is doing very, in particular, is doing very well for them. They mentioned that um, same kind of deal, you know, as I mentioned before. So you uh, you know a lot of uh, Russian tourists, um, and even tourists from the Gulf, uh, they mentioned that as well, are going to visit Moscow and Russia more broadly in greater numbers. Um, so that is a, a good news story on the demand side. Um, so in summary, you know, rough fourth quarter, but looks like things are getting better. And Jazeera, in line with most, if not all, true low-cost carriers, it's only got one aircraft type, so you can upgauge and downgauge to suit demands. Yeah, I believe they've got A320neos and some classics in there as well. So a bit, bit of a hybrid fleet, but all A320s. Right, exactly. And for many years, they have uh, they were very they're they're not that young of an airline. I mean, they started out, I want to say in the mid two thousand, you know, two thousand was it mid two thousands? I want to say, yeah, and they well, were two thousand four ish, five ish. Two thousand four. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's that's that's. Uh, Sounds right. And um, they, uh, for the longest time, they would only have seven, eight, nine aircraft. Um, they, even had, they even had a leasing subsidiary for a while where they'd get aircraft from Airbus and then just lease it out, not use it themselves. Um, they don't do that anymore, but they do. But they have started growing, actually. So uh, they, uh, they're, they're, they're starting. They're still small, but they're, they're at least, you know, they're expanding into more markets. They're, they're adding capacity. So they're doing that. Um, one more point on the Russian thing I just wanted to mention because I, I just saw it here in front of me on, on my notes. The uh, Russia has actually liberalized their um, their visas. It's just a direct quote here. Russia has opened e-visas for Kuwaitis and most of the GCC. So uh, that's the Gulf Cooperation Council. I think that stands for the the that includes what Saudi and a few other countries in that region. So. And uh, and then they say they they they're expecting a similar reciprocal privilege to be granted by Kuwait's foreign ministry to to Russian citizens for them to visit Kuwait. And and they'll take some connections too, you know, through through Kuwait to to other places in the network. They're very big in India as well. Now, one final interesting thing, uh, lots of lots of interesting stuff. This this so uh, much interesting. Well, it's always interesting, but it's ex exceptional levels of interest this week. Unless I'm just overusing that word, but uh, but anyway, <laughs> I, find, I find it interesting that uh, <laughs> that one thing. So they don't own their leasing company, the aircraft leasing uh, unit. They sold that off a long time ago, but they do own uh, an airport terminal at Kuwait's main airport. Oh. So 
and I remember being at Kuwait years years ago before that opened, and uh, the the airport was really really bad. I mean, it was really underdeveloped. And they opened this uh, this new one, you know, the new terminal that's um, apparently really nice, and they're expanding it now, uh, and it makes a lot of money. What's what's kind of interesting? Uh, I use that word again, but uh, a, a dilemma that they have, or a question that that uh, strategic question that that Jazeera faces that other airlines don't is, you know, I mentioned how much they have all this overcapacity and they they have to decide. I mean, they could cut back, uh, not necessarily by, you know, getting rid of planes, but they could utilize their A320s less and cut back on capacity. But they also want to optimize for moving as many people through their airport terminals possible because they make money that way. They make money on True. volume. So it's a little bit of a tricky, you know, should we should we go for the volume even if we lose money on it? Now, what they say, they were at, you know, the uh, the CEO was asked this question. He said, you know, unequivocally, no, we the airline's got to be profitable. We that's what we optimize for. So I don't think they, you know, they're they're not doing this just for the volume, but that is something that they have to think about. That you know is unique. A balancing act between keeping the airline happy and maybe keeping some other parts of the wider business and stakeholders happy. Right. Fascinating stuff, Jay. Uh, always a pleasure to speak to you. And I'll keep a tally next time of how many times you say the word interesting. We can uh, we, we can put a buck in the buck in the can every time you say it. We might get that ANA first class flight paid <laughs> yeah, off sooner yeah. than we thought. I haven't forgotten about that. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I had a couple of emails asking uh, asking if people could join as well. So uh, JAL or ANA or any any other Japanese carrier, we're not uh, we're not partial to one over the other. But uh, fantastic speaking to you, Jay. And uh, don't forget, you can always contact us via email with story ideas or any feedback on the program. My address is GS. That's G for Gordon, S for Smith at skiff.com. And Jay is available at JS at skiff.com. That's J for Jay and S for Shabbat. Uh, Thanks again for joining me this week, Jay. And wherever you are in the world, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Airline Weekly Lounge podcast. Check out airlineweekly.com for a new issue every Monday and updates on the latest airline news throughout the week.